Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Andrew McKenna from TalkSport. We're out in Sri Lanka covering the England Cricket Tour. As well as exclusive live ball-by-ball coverage of the Test Series, TalkSport are also giving you a podcast. It's published daily, it's called Following On, and covers all the news and views around the tour. It's full of player interviews, reaction and analysis from TalkSport's team of experts, including Darren Goff, Jared Kimber and Matt Pryor. Oh yeah, and also some of me. We'll be rounding up each day of action from the test matches plus the news from all the other days on tour. You can subscribe now by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast app. Search for the Following On Cricket Podcast, subscribe now and never miss a show. Hi everybody, it's part two of The Wreck today with Sam Warburton. Part one on Tuesday was fascinating, we're going to talk through a few more aspects of the game and, and Sam's unbelievable career. And Sam, we had a joke uh, in part one about the breakdown, um, about Stuart Barnes's really uh, incoherent rubbish that he spouted about it. Uh, Barnes, he doesn't listen to this, does he? Okay. And <laughs> what's not a joke is basically the, the, the sheer ferocity of the breakdown phase. Some of you managed to, managed to get through it okay, but now with so many breakdowns, it's it's just bang, 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 bang. You can't be in every one. But has that become just too intense and almost too dangerous? I think the game actually is okay. I think it's the amount of games that we're playing, which is the issue. So, you know, there's a lot of rule changes coming in. And I said this before, you don't want to, you want to be an ambassador for the game. And I want kids to pick up a rugby ball and play rugby. And if they could have the experience I've had, it would be amazing because it's changed me and helped me as a person so much. But rugby is never going to be safe. And um, people might not want to hear that. But then, I mean, to a rugby player, that's obvious. But you, you can't get 30 big blokes running around a field and it, you can't make it safe. So, I mean, I love the, the physical side of it. I played rugby because football wasn't physical enough for me, you know, and athletics wasn't physical enough for me. I wanted to run into people and tackle people and and do that. And I actually love that battle. And I said this before, I was like, you can understand why the Coliseum was so popular those thousands of years ago, because if you look at it from a neutral perspective, like completely raw, right? None of us has ever watched sport before. And if it was like an alien coming in and onto the Millennium Stadium and they just saw 75,000 people cheering on 30 people to smash each other, there's something about watching people go through that physical war-like battle that people love to watch. 
So like you can't take that away from rugby and that is rugby and that's why we love it. You know, we love the big hits. We love the highlight reels of all the big shots and the tries and stuff like that. I know the safety is coming into it, but you know, the, the fact is you can't make a ruck ever perfectly safe. You can't make the tackle perfectly safe ever. But I think what you can change is just the workload on the players. And I've heard a couple of suggestions from, from past players, which some of them you just disregard. Some of them I think, you know, are really worthwhile listening to, but um, I think it's more the volume that players are playing. I remember the Lions tour back in 2017 and some of the English guys were approaching 40 games. I mean, you can't. You just can't do that. You can if you're not going to train in the week, but training's hard as well. So you can't do that with training. So I think it's more the amount of games that we're playing. You, you were responsible to, to the Welsh Rugby as your employees when they were fixing games. And we all know that they need income. But Wales, uh, Ireland, um, uh, England... Uh, I think Scotland as well, in just over a year, I've got 20 internationals. If you do well in the World Cup and, and go right through to, say, the semi-finals, you've either got 19 or 20. Now, there used to be sort of five or six internationals a year. Surely now that's nuts. It's a vicious circle, isn't it? Because if money was no object, then this obviously wouldn't be, it wouldn't be happening. But then, you know, I can under, and I can understand, you've got to sit on the fence of the unions where... You don't want all your players running away to France because they've got a ridiculous TV deal over there and they got backers who will just throw money into clubs like they're playing a game of Monopoly with a family. You know, it, it's, a t- it's a vicious circle because you need to look after players so you need to dr- take games away but then you need to generate the revenue to be able to pay them to not go away. So it, it is tough and, I, you know, as a player, I'll stand here and say I, I think we play too much Um I don't think players should play more than 25 games. I know there's a new ruling coming out in the, you know, with the RFU and that with 32 games over 20 minutes or more. i, I got to be honest, you know, the, the season going into July, I tell you now, there's not one player like that. Uh, I can promise you that now. And it's not, there might be breaks, but to, to ask a player to mentally be in season for 12 months, of 11 months of the year, that's a long time mentally. Even if they're physically helping the player, they think that. You're not helping the player emotionally and and mentally. You know it's a long time to be in competition. That and you know there's never a week off. They say a week off. There's never a week off because clubs are always under the pump if they're losing games. They want to bring the guys in. They're never away away and and resting. You know they never have a week off. It's not like they're having their feet up. You know they're still going to be in the club environment. So shouldn't be lengthening the seasons. You know you're just going to get the players into a downward spiral. But you shouldn't play more than 25 games a year. But then I understand now. I'll have. You know, I could be sat in a boardroom with people from the Welsh Rugby Union and RFU, and they say, "Well, how else are you going to generate the money then?" And I'd be honest, I'd say, "Well, I don't know," and that's where you know I'm I'm not qualified to make those decisions. But it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Players' salaries are going up and up and up, but our bodies can't cope with the demands of of trying to sustain those salaries. But hasn't there got to come a time, Sam, when when the demands of income, etc., have got to be number two to player welfare? It doesn't matter. Why should you have to yourselves come up with ideas for, for income? Player welfare, surely, now has got to be number one and everything else has got to be number two, and you've got to work it out. This is where, I guess, um, without sounding um, ruthless, but as a player, you are, you're not a piece of meat. That's why I think the central contract idea was great with the union because, and and to be fair, a lot of the ownership was on the player, I think, as well. Well, in Wales it was anyway. Because a player, you could choose to go over to France or England and play a lot more games, or you could choose to stay in Wales and get looked after. 
And there's players, you know, myself included, there's players who would have taken less money to stay at home because they realised it was the best thing for their careers. So in that case, great. And that's where I thought the Welsh Rugby Union were good. They said to me they had a contract. I could only play for the Cardiff Blues. Uh, I wouldn't play more than 25 games a season. For me, that was music to my ears. Not because I don't want to play, because I wanted to have longevity in the game. I wanted to keep playing. So people think that's a negative thing. I was like, no, I want to play into my 30s. That's why I've signed this deal. So that was a really positive step forward but they don't have that in England yet um, and I can understand it's different because their club people this is where you go into so much detail but their league system is completely different to ours we can afford to rest players in our league system where the English guys they can't because they're battling for relegation all the time and I do feel for the English guys because every game is a must-win game in, in the Gallagher Premiership, but we don't have that same pressure. So we don't have to play perhaps as many games. And Leinster's a fantastic example of that. You know, they always have a full hit out for Europe and they're fantastic and the guys don't get overplayed. It's a very tough one because um, the English League is so competitive. The guys and clubs have to play. I would like to see a, a ruling of no more than 10 internationals in a season. You know, 10 internationals, absolute maximum. That would be four autumns, five, six nations, two or three summer tours. You know, it's 12, 13 caps a year. If you had maximum of 10 internationals, then you can play or you could start perhaps, you know, I would say start, you could start 15 club games then as well. And that's still ample at game time, I think. And then you can come off the bench still. You can still have games where you have 20 minutes on top of that. But 25 starts, I think, has got to be a maximum. I'm worried, I don't know about you, that it's actually getting worse, not better. For instance, last week, there's always been this thing that the Lions never have any preparation. But that's now escalated. Not only did they not have any preparation last time, they didn't have anything. They didn't have any, didn't even have time to sit down and have a beer before they played. We now hear there's, for the next Lions tour, there's going to be, again, leaving on the Sunday after the finals and going straight to play. Now, surely that is that is lunacy. From a Lions perspective, that's, that's, it's really bad for Lions. Um, I mean, there will be guys in camp beforehand, so... To put a little bit more, like I guess, make it more realistic. You know, those guys aren't going to play that first week probably in South Africa. So, say the English lads who are involved in the final play on a Saturday and they fly out Sunday, they're probably not going to play until the following a week Tuesday, if that makes sense. So they're not going to play, you know, when they arrive or whatever that first Saturday. Well, unlikely anyway. And the guys all play will be the ones who whose domestic seasons have finished perhaps a bit prematurely. But it's just yeah, if you're if you're on the Lions side of the fence, it's not giving the Lions ideal preparation to beat South Africa at all. So the Lions generate so much money, not just for the British and Irish Lions, for the for the other unions. So for say the when home, it goes for the to home union. yeah, the yeah. home union, New Zealand would have made an absolute fortune from the Lions going, and not even just the rugby, their economy as well. You know, they would have made an absolute fortune from that and that money goes back into their game so the Lions on so many levels is so important and like look how many fans got engaged with the last Lions talk it was enormous so for me I absolutely love Cardiff I absolutely love Wales but the Lions has to absolutely has to stay and you've got to keep it it's so so important for the world game and regardless of who I'm working for you know I'm always going to be pro-Lions because it's such a unique thing that we have in our sport and we've got to cherish that in team meetings last year when you just arrived you had no preparation of people going out there jet lagged it must have given you a nice feeling that you bailed out the New Zealand economy though <laughs> oh god as a player as the last thing that's going through your mind of course I mean that was what was good I spoke to one of the guys who was um, very uh, influential on the Lions setup after that tour. He just said, you know, pros and cons, you know, what was good, what was bad. And I gave him uh, my honest opinion. And I think from a Lions perspective, um, 
playing eight games now in the next, I think it's eight games for Africa, that's arranged, isn't it? I think that's actually quite good because if the Lions didn't play that Barbarians game, the first game of the tour, sorry for those who were listening who aren't sure, we, we flew out and days later, jet lagged, we played uh, New Zealand Provincial Barbarians, which was shouldn't have in my opinion shouldn't have played that game and I, I said that so you could drop that to nine games quite comfortably then I said the next game you could drop I don't think you need a game after the second test if you didn't have that midweek game after the first test say you played the first test and you played the second test and then somebody key player got injured then you called him up he wouldn't have played since the midweeker before the first test you could end up going two three weeks without any game time I think you can have a midweek game after the first test because if somebody got injured after the second test, then you've still got somebody who's got rugby injuries belt within the last week. Um, but yeah, that's why I think you could drop one of the midweek games. Some, in, in I see test. what you're saying, but surely then you would then have the, the, the problem of at the end of the tour, some of the players would never have had a chance to make a bid for a tour for a test place. That's why I think perhaps you take a smaller squad then. You know, you just shave the squad a little bit and um, rather than... It just means you've got less room to experiment at the start of the tour. So you take what you think is going to be more likely a test team from the start, which is, yeah, it's more of a gamble. Yeah, but a 10-test tour at the end of a season is hard. Mm. It is very, very hard, you know. So that's why I think eight games is okay. And chatting to a lot of the players who are on tour... We all felt the same, you know. I know people would love to see us have more games, but if you can get combinations, if you can get players playing together two or three times for the first test, yeah, great. You know, if I had two hit-outs for the first test, I, I, that was, I did that in 2013, I did it in 2017, and I felt fine then going to the test. And you're still match fit because you've been playing all season. So, yeah, if you as a player, if you can get 280 minutes under your belt before the first test and that's that's pretty good prep you know so but yeah it might just mean you might have to shave the squad a little bit you you you're one of the most the most popular players and most respected players in uh, in the game you're now moving into a field which contains some of the most reviled people in the in sport <laughs> um i just want to ask you uh, as a renowned nice guy only one team can win a game both teams can't win the team that loses must have done something wrong not everybody can have a good game someone must have made errors when you've you've made a great start broadcasting on, on, on TV, but have you found it difficult to criticise people that you played with, and will you find it difficult in the future? Do you know what? I absolutely loved become uh, becoming like a, a pundit because um, I don't feel bad about it. Because say, as captain, for example, a player makes a mistake, you got to say to them that was wrong. Like there's ways about it, but you got to say that was wrong. So. As a pundit, I'm only saying what I would be saying if I was captain anyway, for example, if I was in training, in an analysis meeting or speaking to a player around a laptop. So if the player knows I'm right and I said, oh, he probably would have preferred to take this option, well, the player knows I'm right. He appreciates all I'm trying to do is just inform the viewer on what could have happened better. When you've got it in for a player or when a player perceives that someone's got it in for them for no apparent reason, I think that's what players get a bit frustrated about or if they say he should have made that pass, for example, that's easy. It was like, well, it's not easy because at the cold face of it, when you're at ground level playing against New Zealand, no decision's ever easy. It looks easy from the second tier, but when you're there on, as a foot soldier, it, it's hard, you know? So if you're criticising in a constructive way, then that's absolutely fine because that's what players do all week, every week in their in their careers. And, you know, players are... I think that's why play, a lot of players transition into the real world quite well because they're used to having really tough meetings where... They might, I say criticise, it's not the right word, where they get constructively you know, criticised and they have to own up in front of a group of players that they were wrong or they get, they might find it humiliating if they get dropped. But the thing with rugby is you always realise that there's always a chance to improve and give it another go. And 
chatting to an ex-player who's involved in Wales. I remember saying to him, what's the what's the biggest thing you've learned since you've moved out of rugby and gone into retirement and into your next career? He said, what I've learned is working in the office and stuff. I'm not worried about taking making a mistake. And I notice a lot of people are. Because in rugby, you make mistakes all the time and you just get on with it. You get criticised in the paper, then you crack back on with it. And he said, that's the biggest transferable skill I've got is I can go into the workplace, I can go for it. But if I make a mistake, I know I've got an opportunity to correct myself and, and be better again. He said, that's the biggest learning I've taken from rugby. So yeah, I don't mind doing the criticise, not criticising, I don't mind pointing out what somebody might have done wrong because as long as I'm saying the right thing and it and it is correct and it's constructive, then it's only what they receive from a coach anyway. Well, well said. Can I just look at the, the, the other side of the media? Um, and by that, I mean being a player in, well, probably Ireland and England, but especially in Wales. And for a start, like 50% of the people always th- seem to think that Justin Tipperick was better than you or, you know, it used to be Barry John was better than David Watkins or, or, or whoever it was. And which, which is opinion, but did it ever, in terms of the whole social media thing, the whatever it is, Facebook, people on street corners, people buttonholding, holding your family, did it ever really get you down? Because I would say, if I were you, it would have really, really cheesed me off. It did when I was younger, yeah. So when I was young, 20s to mid-20s, it really bothered me. And that's where like, I didn't want to go on social media, but then like you advised to go on social media because it's good for like your profile and your sponsorships and all that stuff, which isn't really important really when you think of the bigger picture, when you think you're just there to be a, a player and the priority has to be rugby. But but then like as I've got on and I've got older, I'm like, I don't find it personal at all because I'll watch Tottenham Hotspur and I'll say I prefer someone to play over another player. But like I say, it's just, it's just my opinion. And I know I'm a completely different player to Justin Tipperick and... I know there's people out there who would much prefer Justin to have played for Wales, and there's people out there who would have. I was just preferred. using that as an example. I'm no, not. I'm no, not but using it's a good it as example. Argument, but yeah. no, it's a good example because I'm fortunate that I had a coach in Warren Gatland who liked the more physical style player. You know, had I had another head coach, perhaps I wouldn't have got seventy caps. Perhaps I wouldn't have got fifty caps. You know, so that's the thing with sport. It's all opinion, and um, I think it's great. It's what creates debate. It's what creates interest around the game, and as a player. You know, I quickly realised that you can't have it all. Like, I used to be offended if somebody didn't think I played particularly well. But then I think, well, and I'm not, I don't want to sound um, flashy, but you go, I think, well, you live a nice lifestyle. You know, you, you everyone knows it's, it's, you know, it's out there. Everyone knows that rugby players earn quite well. I've got a nice house. You know, I've I've retired financially secure. I drive a nice car. I'm very, and I'm extremely fortunate for that. I'm very fortunate can't have all those things without being able to take a little bit of criticism you know if you you can't have it all and um that's the only thing I quickly realized you know I, I tell you the one instance which made me realize was I was watching Man United play with my brother play a high profile player did something wrong and I remember he said oh he is we, we can't swear on this pod I presume but he said he is and he swore not not very good and uh, I remember thinking now that is exactly in my head I was thinking now that's exactly what someone would say to me but sometimes they might articulate that on Twitter but in a passing comment, he doesn't mean it. And if this player said to my brother, oh, I'd love to do a player presentation for your, your boy's junior club. Oh, you'd bite his arm off. That's what that's what's happening. But it's just people in the heat of the moment, they say something, they express their opinion and they pay money to come into the stands and watch us play, especially for Wales. They pay 60, 70, 80 quid a game to come watch us play. If they want to call me rubbish, they can call me rubbish. That's fine. But yeah, I sort of realised that as I got older and a little bit little bit thicker skinned really. What about the feast or famine thing, which we as a country in Wales always have though? Like, you know, you, you can be winning and then two games later you're 
it's not not like two years later, two games later, it's all doom and gloom. Did you ever think, for <laughs> God's sake, we ought to get a life here? Yeah, there's times I wouldn't go shopping, you know, I wouldn't go out. Because not because I was worried about people slagging me off. I just didn't want to deal with the conversation. You know, I just yeah. I couldn't well, maybe you just didn't like shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I used to. That's why people say, oh, "I see you walk around Sainsbury's or Marks at nine o'clock at night." And I'm like, "Yeah, no, it's just therapeutic." But it's so I actually don't have to talk about rugby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, now I'm older. I don't mind having those conversations. I'm not involved in it. But you know, you go out for a nice. You think you're going out for a nice dog walk in midweek when you've got your day off. And suddenly from behind you, you just hear someone shouting, "What happened on Saturday then?" And you're just like, "Jeez." Oh, like it's just like and that happens 10 times a dog walk I'm like I just yeah. want a therapeutic dog walk where I can get away from rugby but you can't and but yeah I think that's the that's probably the side of rugby which I think some players struggle with um, you know it looks great from the outside but when you're actually in the thick of it and you're playing top club games top international games you just got to accept that it's mm. your job you have to accept that it's, it's part of what you do and you've got to be able then to manage your time outside of rugby better than perhaps before and that's why I always I got better during my, my later years of was having help on just how to manage my time, you know, how to get away from rugby and be a family man. And then when you do go back to rugby, you don't mind taking a bit of criticism you can take it on the chin, but you've got to make sure you make time to get away. It's like any 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 like line of work. I remember a guy was chatting to me once, completely off subject of rugby, and he just said, how do you stay focused or whatever? If you go into my house, I said, I haven't got any memorabilia. You know, I, I am got a rugby ball. Somebody came over to my house the other day and said, can you pass a ball with my son? I said, man, I don't even have a rugby ball in my house. When, I, when I'm when i home, I'm away from rugby. And hmm. somebody got me like a nice canvas print, which they want me to put up in the house of me in the stadium. Beautiful picture of the Principality Stadium behind me, three tiers all full. I was leading the boys out. But I thought, you know what? I don't want that in my house. I don't want to be feeling those emotions that I felt on a match day in my house. When I go home, I'm completely away from rugby. And then he said, oh, you know what? I can't. I can't switch off from work. I'm always on work. I'm like, you know, I had really good advice from Andy McCann, who was like a mental skills coach, performance mm. psychologist, whatever you want to call it. And he really helped me be able to manage my time off the rugby field. So when I did go onto the rugby field, I didn't mind whatever was thrown thrown at me then. Criticism, mm. positive, anything. But you've got to take time away from what you're doing to be able to focus so, on your So where are your jerseys and trophies? Well, at the moment, I haven't got anything up in the house. I only ever had one shirt up, which is my winning shirt against Australia. The first number seven shirt I got for a test. Uh, that was up. That's at my house. Well, it was before I moved. I recently moved, but at the minute, yeah, there's nowhere really to put it, and I don't really want to put it up. I know what I've achieved. And I'm really proud of what I've achieved. I don't need to show mm. that off to people, but I would love to have a room in the house where I can have like a little. You know, I put up some really important shirts that I played in, and like you know the grogs that we get in Wales. I'm really proud of and trophies and stuff. I will one day put them all up because I will want to look back on it and and be fond of it. But um, yeah, I've never really been one for, for for flashing that around the house. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you realize now you're spending more time with your family that the price you had to pay when you didn't spend any time with them? Yeah, I did. Um, now I finished. I, I, I always felt guilty as a player with the lifestyle I had and the, the opportunity I had to play for Wales and Cardiff Blues and the Lions and that. And I always felt guilty about what I was doing because people would be like, oh, I bet you're envious that you're not earning footballers' wages. But I'm like, well, yeah, but I know people who are on... For example, like it could be a like an Olympics program where they're on UK sport funding and they're earning the average salary. So I said, so compared to them, with you know, I'm very fortunate, and I always felt very fortunate as a rugby player. But I look back now, and now I can comment on the game. You know, I can travel the country and you know watch European matches and club matches and international matches and pass comments, um, which is fantastic. And I can be a fan again. Like I love being a fan again of rugby. But then, you know, I, I look back to my playing career and I think, you know, but I look back and now I'm lucky. I think and now I do feel guilty what I'm doing. I'm doing what I love, seeing involved in the game. But I look back at my career and I'm like, you know what? No, it was hard. It, it was a hard career over that 10 years I played or 10 years I was a professional. And I'm not saying it justifies the money at all because there's doctors out there who deserve much more than what we have. But um, I do look back and think, you know what? It is a, it's a hard career, rugby. You know, at the top level, at international level, if you're a regular international every season, season in, season out, week in, week out, it's um, it, it's a hard, it's a hard career. But again, I wouldn't swap it for the world. If I was 18 year old boy, I'd do it all over again. But it was, it was a tough job. You're talking about um, you, you'd hope to go on to the next World Cup, but to have 70 caps for your country and be captain, to to have led the Lions twice and to have lost neither series. You really got no unfinished business in rugby, have you? Now I finished. I always wanted to chase one more trophy for the Cardiff Blues as well. And being completely honest, when we won the European Challenge Cup last year, fifty percent of me was absolutely ecstatic. I was in my, I was in my house, and because I was the Blues fan in me was absolutely delighted. I was I couldn't watch Gareth Anscombe kick the the winning penalty when we won, but the other half of me was absolutely unselfishly. And I guess this is just the performer and and the competitor in me was absolutely gutted I couldn't be part of it because I've always wanted to say the Blues. I've always said I'd much rather win one trophy at Cardiff than go away to somewhere which doesn't mean as much to me to win three trophies, you know. And so I did want to chase another trophy with the Blues. It sounds a bit thing. I I always wanted to win another trophy with the Blues. I wanted to win another Six Nations. I wanted to get to a hundred caps. I wanted to go on another World Cup. I'd love to have said I could have hopefully captain Wales for three World Cups, which probably hasn't been done before by any other captain. So I would have loved to have said I've done that. But now i finished, I guess I can actually take a lot of pride and satisfaction in what I did. Even though at the time I wanted to achieve more, 
I guess there's always something else. It's like if you move house, there's always the next house that's bigger. Or if you get some, the car, there's always the next car that's nicer. There's always something you're chasing in life in there. But now I finish and I can accept I'm not going to play again. I am, you know, very proud of what I've done. Just two more things. This strange thing about uh, your school, Whitchurch, not only have you produced three, have they produced at least three, but three fantastic sports people. But actually, in in in, a, in worlds where you're not supposed to be approachable and and nice, such as football. The three of you, uh, a cyclist, a, a, a footballer, and a rugby player, uh, have actually emerged as, uh, as kind of likable, rounded heroes, which is actually quite a record for for for, for one school. But that, that, that really always surprised me when I hear that, because then I think, well, who's being that idiot to turn down a photo or a signature or to turn down time for someone because... I just I don't get it, you know. Well, thousands of footballers, for yeah. Stars. Well, obviously it happens, you know. Yeah. So that's why it's nice to hear that. But I think, well, who who lets that go to their heads? Like you're still, I say this to people. I'm like, what say like if it's Gareth Thomas, for example, or Gareth Bale, what they've achieved is unusual, without doubt. You know, they're amazing what they've done. It's unusual what they've achieved. But they as people are usual, completely normal, usual people, and that's how I perceive everyone. You know, we've all been. You know, everyone's had their first day in school. Everybody's had their first day in work where they're nervous. Everybody gets ill. You know, we're all human. Everybody's completely normal. We're all level playing field, you know. But some people just put others on a pedestal and some people let that power go to their heads, you know. And that, that always disappoints me when that happens to sportsmen because they might turn down a photo, but they'll soon regret it when they're in their armchair and they're older and nobody cares who they are or they suddenly walk into a primary school and the kids don't look up to them. They'll miss it when that happens, you know. So... You know, my, my brother probably gave me one of the best pieces of advice I've had because he sees it from a normal perspective and he's honest enough to tell me. And I, I've always been very patient, I think, when it comes to autographs and things like that. And he said, it might be your hundredth, but it's always there first. And I'll never forget when I was going to Denmark, actually. I was a 10-year-old boy. And um, I said to my dad, I was flying over. My uncle lives over there. I was flying, I was flying over. And I said to my dad, uh, obviously the Tottenham link now, so people know. I said, oh, do you reckon... Do you reckon we'll see Alan Nielsen when we go to Denmark? And Alan Nielsen that year scored the winning header in the Carling Cup final and Tottenham won the League Cup. We went out to Denmark one month later. And we were on the plane, I remember. And my dad said, oh, Sam, that's like saying, are you going to go to England and see Teddy Sheringham? I mean, it's just like, no offence, it's not going to happen. And then we were in Tivoli Garden, which is in Copenhagen. It's just like a theme park in the city centre. And we were walking around. And I took my dad's shirt. I went, Dad, look, it's, uh, it's Alan Nielsen. And he had a look and he was... Jeepers, I like, couldn't believe it. It was Alan Nielsen. I went over, had a signature, and he was brilliant. Had a picture of us, signed it. I never forgot that. And um, I always think, you know, I could have been that Alan Nielsen, you know. So whenever somebody comes up to you, always give them time. When you uh, when you led Wales out and you were standing in the middle of the Millennium Stadium or Principality Stadium at the end of the line and the national anthem was being played, there was 80-odd thousand people and millions watching on TV hanging on everything you did. <clears throat> what was in your mind? Was it... The, the, the things you had to execute in the next 20 or 30 or 50 minutes or was it something bigger like you know the, 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 all the people who worn the jersey and the history of the type, this small country or what? Mine was um, probably a little bit more selfish but I always just thought every time I took the field you know I just I got to be best player I got to get man of the match you know I got to I, I always did believe um you know, I never probably portrayed it really in interviews and stuff because you don't want to come across as big-headed. There's a very fine line between you know confidence and, and arrogance in there. You know, everyone's heard that sort of cliche really. But 
you've got to believe you're the best guy. So whenever I went out there, I just remember thinking, I'm going to, whoever's my opposite number, I never feared them because I always thought I'm going to, ha- if I want to be the best number seven in the world, I've got to be better than him. No, you know, that that's it. End, end of question. So, you know, I was always extremely confident and I just thought I just can't wait to physically impose myself now with the first time I can get get the ball in my hands or make a tackle and I'm going to let them know that, you know, they're playing against myself. That was just the mentality I had, which might sound a little bit big-headed and I don't like saying it, but then I can, you know, that's how a lot of the other guys feel, you know, and, you know, they're, they're, when I say guys are mentally tough, you know, mentally tough isn't doesn't mean getting up off a, playing an international game, getting off the floor and punching someone in the face. That's not being tough. You know, being tough is, you know, being resilient and believing in yourself and never giving up and always being able to pick yourself back up and go again, regardless of the scoreboard. You know, that, that's being tough, you know, and, you know, you need a guy, you need a group of 15, 23 boys who are like that. And that's why I thought the Lions were successful in, in New Zealand because, you know, you've got 23 of the most competitive animals in the British and Irish Isles. You pick those 23 guys, every one of those 23 guys generally thought they could beat New Zealand and they were better than their opposite number. And that's how you've got to approach those challenges, you know. But that's how I approach every individual one. And every individual game for Wales was just another individual challenge to try and prove that you were the best guy, really. And obviously you wanted to succeed as a team. You know, that's why I played rugby as opposed to individual sports because I loved being able to share that success with teammates. But you always had that thing that you had your own individual cog that you had to look after. I can't worry about what my 15 is going to do or my 10. You know, you've got to focus on what you've got to do. Trust everyone else will do their job. But together, if it all comes together, you'll be fine, you know. So focus on what I had to do. And that was always my mentality, really. Final question. Now you're in the media. You can have a media pass and you can get your own back because you can do what we do. We can go into press conferences and ask the poor sod of a captain the same question 56 times a season. And it never, never varies. You, you can you can do that. Do you think you can add to the entertainment value of press conferences because right. it's badly needed? No, I do. And I, I do think, right, if I was the other side now, what question would I want to be asked? And um, I don't want to say it now. We've been speaking now for over an hour. It's been easy because you've been asking good, interesting questions. I'm not just saying it, but you know, you have got a very good reputation, Steve, amongst the players. I'm not just saying well, that. Leave that but, bit uh, in, all right? <laughs> yeah, you have. But um, yeah, I, you know, you can't say the same for everybody, sadly. And sometimes somebody asks you that one question and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. You know, you might be in a press conference, they say, do you believe you can win on Saturday? I'm just thinking, <laughs> oh my God, you've got like, you know, maybe one or two opportunities to ask a head coach a question. I, I don't know if you're fishing for a headline, maybe I'm being naive or what, but I'm like, can you seriously not think of something a bit more, which, and it's, sometimes somebody asks you a good question and you will give a really good long answer back. She's like, oh good, I have actually a good insightful question. You can portray a certain message back but sometimes it is it's hard work sometimes you know but yeah and no, I I do think sometimes right what would I do what would I ask that situation and um yeah I'm not gonna do that for a couple of years I'm gonna make sure I stay I, I'm too close to too many of the boys at the minute so uh probably won't be asking any any questions and comments just yet we can start anytime you like honestly <laughs> Sam Warburton thanks a million for being on the rack look forward to working with you this season and uh, thanks to everyone at home or wherever you are for listening and downloading and we'll be back next Monday uh, looking back on what's going to be an amazing Saturday of Autumn International. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.